0: Let's take the Word of God, and if you turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And as you turn here in your Bibles, we're going to begin reading in just a moment verse 1, read down to verse 4. But as we read through this record of the first century church, it is important that we not look upon this account as some or the book of Acts, as some random compilation of stories chosen among many. Uh, There is a specific purpose for everything that is detailed in this wonderful record that we call the book of Acts. And this is true for chapter 6. And notice here, as we begin reading in chapter 6, the Bible says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I want to bring your attention to the expression we find in verse 4, the last uh, five words, the ministry of the word. Thus far in our study of the book of Acts, we have identified two sources of trouble for the church. First of all, there was a persecution from without. And we've seen that throughout the opening chapters. If we go back to chapter three, remember, uh, Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, and uh, we uh, see that uh, one day after this great conversion of thousands of believers, we find then that on their way to the temple by the beautiful gate, there was a man who was uh, lame, and we saw that uh, Peter. Uh, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, heal that man, and immediately when the crowds throng around him, he began to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. And we see that immediately the authorities of that day, the religious leaders, had a problem, not with the miracles, but with the preaching and the teaching of Jesus Christ. They told them, the apostles and Peter specifically, not to teach and preach in his name, And so we identified a persecution from without the church from chapter 3 through chapter 4. Again, the believers in the first century were threatened because of their preaching and their teaching. This threat, we would say, came from without the church. They were trying to silence the church. They were told not to speak in the name of Jesus Christ. But then, when we came to Acts chapter 5, there was a different type of Um, trouble for the church, and that it was a problem from within. You remember Acts chapter 5, the beginning? Believers were threatened from within the heart and the deceit. We understood that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and Ananias and Sapphira uh, conspired something in their heart. They lied to God. They lied to the church. They lied to the apostles, and that is a problem for the church. They were hypocrites. And God took that opportunity to um, make sure that that would not be allowed in the church or not permitted that he would communicate his great disdain for such an act. And then following the account of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, we have seen a continued opposition to the message of the apostles from without again. Uh, These men were threatened They were ridiculed, right? They were unlearned and ignorant men. And they were beaten before they were released. And in Acts 5 reveals to us, again, the persecution from without. They're standing in front of the Sanhedrin council, and they're told again not to teach and to preach in this name. And they are beaten, and then they are let go. And now we come to Acts 6. Now what is interesting, we're going back and forth, From a threat to the church from without to a threat to the church from within. Again, in chapter 5, a threat from without the church. And now we come to chapter 6, and we see a threat from within the church. Once again, we find trouble within the church. In Acts 5, the trouble was lying or hypocrisy or pretense or deception We come to chapter 6 and we identify this problem according to verse 1 of chapter 6 as a murmuring. That is a trouble in the church. Isn't it interesting that things have not changed? (laughs) We are here in the 21st century and we are still dealing with the same problems that the first century church dealt with. And so it is important for us to see here the problem of murmuring, however, I don't want us to focus on the murmuring of the Grecians as much as I want us to focus on the response of the apostles to the murmuring. And so I want to identify three things as we consider our text, and we think about here the apostles coming as the murmuring is taking place. They're focused, according to verse 4, on the ministry of the Word. They said, notice in verse 2, It is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. And so I ask us this morning, what is the priority of the church? What is it that the apostles were focused on? And so I want us to see here that there's a potential problem that arises in the church. And I want us to see that, by the way, this problem in its form has not changed today. And there is a potential that what the church should be doing, the church leaves doing. That's what we see here. It is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. We have a priority. And so I want us to consider three things. First of all, let's identify the problem. What is the problem in this church? Now, back and forth, there are two enemies to the church. The enemy from without And the threat from without the church and then the threat from within the church. And now we come here to again, there's a uh, moving inside the church that could cause great problems for the church. Murmuring could be a great problem. By the way, that caused a lot of problem for Moses. What some would consider the greatest leader in the Old Testament. Uh, Moses had a lot, dealt with a lot of murmurings and caused a lot of problems. And so we see human nature is the same. And in Acts chapter six, there is also a murmuring going on. So let's identify the problem. I first want to consider, uh, this problem into three, uh, and three points. First of all, we see the conflict of groups. The conflict of groups. As we read verse one, the Bible says in those days. So again, in those days, that means while they were experiencing threats and persecutions from without, When the number of the disciples was multiplied, so obviously the church is growing, great things are happening, the Bible says there arose a murmuring of the Grecians, and here it is, against the Hebrews. So here we identify two groups of people in this conflict. So I call this the conflict of groups. And it is interesting that when you go to churches, sometimes you will find groups. You will find Groups of people who fellowship with one another and they refuse to fellowship with another group of people over here. And as a result, the church becomes divided. And apparently here, it seems that the church in the first century began to be divided because it tells us there was the Grecians against the Hebrews, a conflict of groups. Now, let's determine here who the Grecians are. The Grecians should not be thought of as Greeks because if they were Uh, Just Greeks, they would refer to them as the Gentiles or the Greeks. They said the Grecians. Rather, uh, the Grecians are Jews who were Greek speaking. The conflict was basically uh, the Grecians against the Hebrews. The Hebrews were those who lived in Jerusalem or in the general Judea area surrounding Jerusalem, while the Grecians were those Jews who were perhaps either born or lived in some part of Greece uh, and spoke the Greek language. For example, let's go back to chapter 2. We find this, uh, this identified in this very book. Back in chapter 2, if you remember, in uh, the day of Pentecost comes, you find those gathered in, in the upper room, they're praying together. And the Bible says, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, that's the believers there, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. So see, we're talking here, we're in Jerusalem, uh, the Holy Ghost is about to come down on the day of Pentecost, and the Bible says, uh, as they're about to go out, right, and the Spirit of God is going to be manifested. The Bible tells us in verse 5 that in Jerusalem at that time, there were Jews, but notice these devout men, From every nation under heaven. So the Bible says that during the Feast of Pentecost, which was a time when Jews would come back to Jerusalem, if you would act like a pilgrimage, they would come back to this feast from around the world. There were people in Jerusalem at that time who were devout men who were Jews, but who lived outside of Jerusalem and outside of Judea. Now, what were those groups? And by the way, the Bible identifies them as Jews. They just didn't live in Jerusalem or Judea. If you go over, notice in chapter 2, notice verse 9. The Bible identifies when they begin to speak all the wonderful works of God, who is hearing? Now, the Bible says the people from all the nations are all Jews. But notice from where they are, verse 9. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea and in Cappadocia and in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of, Le- of uh Uh, Libya and Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. We know that the witness of the gospel was first preached to the Jews. And so when these people who came from around the nations for the Feast of Pentecost, they're all Jews, but they all speak different languages. So we've already identified that. And by the way, those people who heard the word of God in their own languages, which was not the Hebrew tongue, but in a different tongue, which was their own, they uh, heard the wonderful works of God and they were converted. Now, we find that as we study now, we come to chapter 6 and we find that there is a division between the Grecians and the Hebrews. So the term Grecians refers to those who, in a sense, would imitate the customs and the habits of the Greeks who used the Greek language as their primary language, and they were also referred to as Hellenizers, okay? They were from the culture, the Greek culture. And so when the gospel was first preached to the Jews, there were two types of Jews, if we could put it that way, as we see here in Acts chapter 6. There were those who had stayed in Judea, Jerusalem, who used the Hebrew language and therefore were called Hebrews. And there were also those who were scattered among the Gentile nations who spoke primarily the Greek language and who used the Greek language in their synagogues in other nations. But now, because of the Feast of Pentecost, they're back in Jerusalem, and some of them are converted, but their primary language is the Greek language. So this difference would bring about... A natural conflict, why? Because of human nature. We know human nature, do we not? On the one hand, the Hebrews would be proud of their language. We have the language of our fathers. They would be proud of their proximity to the temple. Uh, And patriotism uh, would really drive them, saying, we have remained in the land of our forefathers. But those Jews who we're going to refer to as Grecians, although they were Jews, they have forsaken the land, they live in another part of the world, they speak a different language. You see the problem that would create? On the other hand, those Grecians, they would look at those Hebrews, those other Jews, and they would be suspicious of some unjust partiality towards them by those Hebrews. And so here the Bible says it's the Grecians against the Hebrews. And so here we find that in the first century church, division can happen very quickly by how? By what? By forming groups, cliques, if you would, in different parts of the church where people says, well, we have our group over here, and you have your group over here. But what we've read already in the book of Acts is they were all in one accord of one mind, but human nature is very quick to take over. We've already read in the opening chapters, they were of one mind, of one accord, but all of a sudden now, by chapter 6, the Bible says, and in those days, when the number of the disciples was, was multiplied, eventually, at some point, cliques began to be formed. And division is a potential conflict in the church. So the problem, we see the conflict of groups, but then secondly, we see the conduct of the Grecians. So there's a conflict between those two groups. And here is the conduct of the Grecians. The Bible says there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. So the word murmuring here basically means a grumbling or a grudging. Uh, they were going around basically complaining about some unfair treatment here towards their widows now we understand here that this murmuring has is mentioned in other parts in the bible we all already identified it in the old testament murmuring was condemned of god and god judged the children of israel for murmuring against moses and against the lord so it is a serious thing furthermore in philippians chapter 2 verse 14 paul instructed the church at Philippi when he says do all things without what's the word murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless the sons of god without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation so he says look the nation is crooked the nations are crooked and perverse don't be like them don't be crooked don't be perverse be do all things without murmurings Uh, He says, among whom ye shite as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And so the conduct of the Grecians is their murmuring. And you know what that means? They were going around, and the murmuring notice was against the Hebrews. So you know what they were saying? Based upon the text. Because their widows were neglected in daily ministration. So this is what is intimated in this verse. The Grecians would go to another Grecian, and he said, Hey, I think that the Hebrews, those who are still dwelling in the land, I think they're too proud. And I think that as people are bringing things to the apostles, I think that what's happening is that our widows are being neglected in the daily administration, and we think that they're doing that purposely because they have some animosity against us. And so they were saying that among themselves. And so the word was traveling among the Grecians, and basically you were, they were forming a coalition against the Hebrews. And there was this conflict, this murmuring. By the way, beware of anybody in any church, in this church particularly, because I'm the pastor of this church, who's trying to form a coalition against another group in the church, or against uh, another believer, or against the pastor, or against anyone. Beware of that. It is not a good sign it is a threat to the church. So we see the conduct of the Grecians. So now we see the conflict of groups, the conduct of the Grecians. But thirdly, we see the case of the Grecians. So what what was the trouble? The Bible says because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Now, the daily ministration can also be understood as the daily distribution we already saw that previously we learned that these early believers gave to the apostles the resources necessary to be distributed to the needs of others within the church right we've already identified that back in let's go back to chapter four you remember in chapter four notice verse 30 through 30 31 through 34. The Bible says, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Verse 33, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Here it is, verse 34. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands and houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And, notice what happened as a result, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. So we already saw that back in chapter 4 that distribution was made, and uh, if you would, this daily ministration, people were bringing it, and the apostles were distributing those things to, apparently here, part of that was the widows who had need. So the Grecians, here's the case for the Grecians. The widows among the Grecians had evidently been neglected according to the Grecians. That's what they're murmuring about. Now, the word neglected means that either, either, and this is the two possibilities, and here is, is why this word is interesting. There's only two possibilities in the word neglect. Either the widows have been overlooked or the widows have been disregarded. That, that's the, what's intimated in the word neglect. Now, but you see the insinuation, right? The Grecians are going on, they're talking around to each other and they say, our widows are being neglected in the daily ministration. And so, This neglect means that there's only, that they're intimating two scenarios. Either they're being overlooked or they are being discarded. Now, I believe because of the murmuring against the Hebrews, they thought that they were being discarded. Right? Not just overlooked, but completely discarded. And so that is, if you would, the case of the Grecians. What is interesting is the Bible does not give us the answer as to whether the widows were being overlooked by mistake or whether they were being disregarded. We don't know the answer. It says, what, what's the answer, Pastor? And here it is. Sometimes I have to say, I don't know. I don't know whether they were being completely discarded by the Hebrews or whether it was just an oversight. But that is the problem, the potential of the problem. And here we have this in the Bible because I think we all understand that problems can quickly arise in any church whenever you have any size group of people who are constantly interacting. That's the problem. But I'm not so much focused on the problem as much as the response of the Apostles. So we not only see the problem, but here we see, secondly, the potential. What is the potential here? There's this murmuring, this conflict between the Grecians and the Hebrews. Uh, Evidently, some widows were being neglected, oversight, or being uh, completely uh, forgotten. We we, we don't know. But here is the potential or the danger from within the church that could happen. The Bible says in verse 2, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them. Now, We see because of the persecution, there was evidently people were meeting daily in every house. They were not ceasing to preach and teach Jesus Christ. We saw that, right, in verse 41 and 42 of chapter 5. But here we come, and they're gathering everybody together. That's a good move, by the way. They're not grabbing a select few people. They're, They're inviting the multitude to come together and to deal with this issue. But here is how they're going to handle it. Notice they say, they said, it is not reason, That we, refers to the apostles, should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, as we come to verse two, we find the twelve, they're calling the multitude of the disciples to a, what I would refer to today as a business meeting in order to address this problem. Now, it is evident that the apostles had been serving tables. Uh, I think as you read those verses, it is evident that the apostles had been involved in serving tables. Remember, when the things were brought to them, they were brought to the apostles' feet, and distribution was made. From who? From the apostles unto those who had need. But it is evident because the Bible says the disciples were being multiplied, that it reached a place where the apostles were overwhelmed. And so I believe that the apostles had committed an oversight. In other words, the the work was getting too big for them. Uh, They could not handle this themselves. And so they're seeing here, there's a potential here. We can be involved in serving tables, and as a result, we can abandon the ministry of the Word of God. That's the danger. You see, this chapter indicates that the care of the widows was becoming overwhelming to the apostles themselves to take care of, and some widows had been taken care of while others had not. So consider the simple reply from the 12th. Now, this is part of what I am interested in. What was the primary task of the first century church? What is to be the primary task of this church, or of any church for that matter, in the 21st century? Well... We need not to wonder. The answer is found right here, and here's what the apostles say. It is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. You see, the apostles' response was simple. This is not a valid reason for us to leave the Word of God. This problem needs to be addressed. And by the way, they're going to address it right there. However, we cannot forsake our priority. We cannot replace the ministry that we have been given with some other ministry, as great as that other ministry may be. We don't want to be distracted from our priority. That is ultimately what they're saying. The word leave here, does not reason that we should leave. The word leave means to leave behind, to abandon, to forsake. We can't do that, the apostle said. And if we are so consumed with serving tables, and if we're running around everywhere trying to serve tables, in uh, what's going to happen, in effect, is we are going to abandon, we're going to leave behind, we are going to forsake the ministry of the Word. Now, it is sad to see that many churches have abandoned the ministry of the Word. Uh, What we find here in the book of Acts is, daily and in every house they ceased not to, to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So it seems that the, the, the main priority of the first century church was to teach and to preach Jesus Christ, whether it was at the temple, whether it was in every house. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, when the believers were converted, they sat at the apostles' feet, they were learning and being taught the doctrine of the Word of God, and they wanted to soak everything in. But today, churches have abandoned the ministry of the Word, and now churches are relegated to now, and I'm not sure what pastors are doing today. Because pastors are not visiting their people anymore. But it's not like they're preaching either. The church has become a one-week meeting where the preacher gives a little 20 minutes soliloquy, and that's it. And I'm thinking, what do you do? What does the preacher do? What does the man who is called of God to preach the gospel to every creature, to be instant in season, out of season, to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, what is the preacher doing? And I say that churches, generally speaking, have forsaken, they've abandoned the ministry of the word of God. And we must also at the same time be reminded, what is the church supposed to be involved in? As a priority. Yes, we see the care of the needy was undertaken by the church. However, that was not the first priority of the church. The apostles said, we can't leave what we're doing. That is the priority. Now here's the connection. Do you remember what the Sanhedrin council told Peter? Stop preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And in the sense here, the apostles are saying the same thing to the church. They're saying, don't tell us to stop teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. There was a potential from without that they would stop preaching and teaching Jesus Christ, but there was also a threat from within. Now, not where they say directly, don't preach and teach Jesus Christ, but where you give something to the apostles where they're not doing it anymore, where they've replaced some uh, uh, subsidiary thing for what they should be doing as a priority. And they say, we cannot be distracted. Now, during the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, many people try to trick Him, try to ask questions. I want to bring you to one particular conversation in Luke chapter 12. If you turn with me in the Gospel of Luke, and chapter 12, Jesus Christ is teaching some wonderful truth to His disciples. And what we're going to find in the middle of this chapter is someone is going to ask an unrelated question to the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, in other words, uh, attempting almost to distract him. And notice how Jesus is going to respond. Notice with me Luke 12. Let's begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says here, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, there were right so many, they were bumping into each other, they were walking all over each other, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in the darkness shall be heard in the light. And that which ye have spoken in the ear is is um, in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, After that ye have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Also, I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. And uh, And when they bring you unto the synagogues and unto the magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what think ye shall answer or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the name, uh, in the same hour what ye ought to say. Now, wonderful truth, Jesus Christ is teaching, right? Uh, God's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of your need. Uh, don't fear those who have the power to take your life away. Fear the one who has the power to cast both your soul and body in hell. And then someone raises up a question in verse 13. Totally unrelated. Notice verse 13. And one of the companies said unto him, we don't know who this man is, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And we're like, what? What are you doing? Like, what are you talking about? And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Basically what Jesus is saying, is saying here is, I'm not here to answer that question. I'm not your judge in this matter. And verse 15, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, uh, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do: I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I say, uh, and and uh, I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years; take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool! This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So basically, this interruption here, Jesus Christ is teaching some wonderful truth, and someone comes along and says, unrelated, right, trying to distract the Lord. Well, inheritance is not divided between my brother. Can you fix that? And Jesus goes on, and what was the mindset and the priority of that man? It was the temporal and the physical. Jesus goes on in response, says, beware of covetousness. What is the world consumed with today? The material. Possessions. It is interesting today that uh, uh, people say, well, look at at the world, and uh, we have to set up a society where we take care of everybody's needs. And people say, well, where did that originate? I'll tell you where that originated. It originated with the church. It didn't originate with human government, but the government has tried to replace the church, but they've given priority to this aspect, and today it is alarming, and we were just talking to a young man yesterday, and he had said, as I uh, asked him about the Lord, if he knew that uh, he was um, a believer, that he had an uh, eternal life, had a home in heaven, he says, well, I've I've gone to a Baptist church. And then he proceeded to tell me, well, you know, all, all religions are kind of the same. You know, whether you're a Muslim or a Christian or a Buddhist, they kind of all do the same, right? You kind of, you know, be good and you, uh, you live a good life and you do right. And I proceeded to show him what the message of the Bible is, how the message of the Bible contradicts all of those religions. But you see what the world is focused in, or focused on, and what many churches have become focused on, They become focused on the temporal. Let's get busy doing things. Let's get busy helping the poor. Let's get busy uh, feeding the hungry. And I say to us, those are important things, and we find the church doing that, but that is not the priority of the church. It is not. It has never been, and it should never be the priority of the church. There is a clear priority of the church, and that is to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. And here there's a potential that comes into the church, say, hey, apostles, here, let's get busy doing something else. Come over here, serve tables, provide for the widows. Let's do something else that Jesus Christ did not command you to do. You see, Paul reminded Timothy of this priority of this ministry. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, let's turn there. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, the command was clear to this young pastor. In 2 Timothy chapter 4. And notice with me, verse 1 and 2, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom serve tables. No, that's not what he says. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, his appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itchy ears. And here is where is the great mistake of the church today, because the church has undertaken some so exclusively a social agenda. Where they've said, hey, let's get together and let's uh, uh, provide for the poor. Let's get together and build orphanages. Let's build. Let's get together and try to uh, uh, provide the answers for all the ills of society. Let's start a program over here. Let's start a program over here. And let's get involved in doing this. And they are pulled on every side and no longer. And this young man yesterday we're talking. He went to a Baptist church. But apparently that Baptist church has not been preaching the word. Because you know, all the religions are the same. No, I told him exclusively, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. So you don't come to God through Buddha or through Mohammed. You come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ exclusively. He is the only way. And I want to I want to show you why this is the great mistake of churches today when they've undertaken a social priority and as a result they've abandoned the word of God or they may sprinkle it on top and say well let's you know throw it out there just here a word here and a word there and throw it kind of a little nice little poem uh, to try to you know uh, try to provide some spiritual experience for people and the church has not realized that the world can do the exact same thing. And that, why do we wonder, why wow, the world says, just shut down the church. Burn down the church. We don't need the church anymore. We can do everything that the church does without God. Isn't that the message of the world? And here the apostle says, we can't abandon the word of God. That is our priority. Now, if we end up serving tables and providing for the virgins, that's wonderful. But that is not our priority that comes out of our ministry. It is part of what we do, but it is not what the church is about. Not at all. And if the church becomes about serving tables and providing for the poor, the church has just does exactly what the world does. And what the world has always done and the church becomes irrelevant in the 21st century. You see, we do not need less preaching today. We need more preaching. A survey was conducted in a church, a large church, and their services were Uh, rather long, and they had their worship time, uh, which took the bulk of the service. And um, the praise team came to the pastor and asked the pastor if they could uh, incorporate a skit for the service. Now, you know, I like skits. I've seen skits before. That's nice and entertaining, but they want to do that in a church service, a skit. Well, the skit's going to be about 15, 20 minutes, and so they did a survey among the church, and they asked all the churches and all the church members, and they said, okay, here are the options. Select which one you want. Let's cut time from the praise and worship time so that we can do the skit. Let's leave the skit out or cut from the preaching time, knowing that the preaching time was already only 20 minutes and the worship time 45 minutes. You know what the overwhelming majority of the church decided to? Cut from the preaching time. This reveals the great dearth for the Word of God in our, in our nation, and particularly in churches. You see, we ask ourselves, why would they say that? It is not reason that we should leave, uh, the, abandon the Word of God, uh, and serve tables. well, Here it is. They did not yield to the demands of the men in the church. They yielded themselves to the command of Christ. There it is. They did not give priority to the physical needs of men. They gave priority to the spiritual needs of men. If you look at the accounts as we look at those things. Notice here, if you let's go back to Acts and I want I want us to go back and forth and see here what has happened here in those uh first times there in the early church. Let's go back to Acts 4. In Acts chapter 4, if you remember, Acts 4 verse uh 17 The Bible says here, Again, they're in the Sanhedrin council. They said, But they spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they, speak, uh, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We can't, we, you get it? We can't do anything else. I lady that called last night, she was Jehovah's Witness. She said, this is what she said when she received a track on a set. I didn't know churches were doing that anymore. And I thought to myself, you're correct. They don't. But we do. Now it's not, it's not some claim to boast about. It's just simply us being obedient to the Lord. Go to chapter 5, verse 28. Remember now the Peter stands that are caught again saying, did we not straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They did not fill Jerusalem with their doctrine by serving tables. They filled Jerusalem with doctrine by preaching and teaching the word of God. And we go to chapter 5, notice verse 30. The reply from Peter is this, verse 30 of chapter 5. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. And so that's why he said in verse 29, we ought to obey God rather than men. We're going to obey God. And in chapter 6, that's exactly what they're saying to the church. We cannot leave the word of God to serve tables. We should obey God rather than men. Now, by the way, they're going to make a way to provide for the widows, for the daily That's going to happen. It's not going to happen by the, with the, the apostles. You see, Peter was undeterred from preaching the gospel of Christ when he was brought before the Sanhedrin council. And now Peter is undeterred from preaching the gospel of Christ when confronted with murmuring believers. Peter was indeed saying, are you telling us, talking to the church, are you telling us that we should be serving tables and not be telling people about Jesus of Nazareth? Is that what you're saying? You see, that is the potential. So we see the problem, the potential, but lastly, and we're done. We consider the priority. Notice verse 4. Now, I'm going to deal with the appointment of the deacons and what they set up in the church and who they selected next week. But here, notice verse 4. But we will give ourselves, here it is, continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And here is the bottom line, and I'm done. It is always wrong to put man before God. It is always wrong to put man before God. Luke 4.4 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. In Amos, it was mentioned this week during our missions conference, Amos 8.11, the Bible says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, not a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. There is a great famine in our land. Why have churches become so corrupt? Because they've departed, they've abandoned the word of God. And now it sits in a shelf. Every once in a while they bring it out and and read it or, you know, uh, spiritualize it or poemize it. I don't know if that's a word but they've abandoned the Word of God to give priority to other things. And there is a famine of the words of the Lord. And so I say here for First Day Baptist Church, if someone says, well, pastor, what, 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 what's our priority as a church? What are we all about? And I'll tell you what we're all about. We should be all about is the ministry of the Word. Now, they also say we will, must give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The world is consumed with the temporal and the physical. And the priority of the church, as we think about our gospel witness, is the fact that they're going to die one day and they're going to stand before God, a holy judge. And for the Christian, it is much more important to think about our spiritual condition than it is for us to think about our physical well-being. See, those things are natural to us. But it is clear that in the first century church, their priority was unmistakable. Their priority was this, the ministry of the word. Now, so we, every time we meet, somebody preaches. You're right. But that's good, isn't it? This is not something that I say because I'm standing up here. I'm saying anytime someone preaches and teaches the word of God, it's good for us. It's the priority of the church. It's what the world needs. All of the extra things we can do, all of the extra things we can do as a church, whether it's provide for the poor, provide meals, do all those things, help out, you know, uh, in the physical sense. Those are all good, but let me tell you, the world can do all those things. But what the world cannot do is preach and teach Jesus Christ. And so our priority is clear. And so may the Lord help us to have a desire to be part of a church that keeps the priority, the priority that Jesus Christ decided. And so let's ask the Lord to help us.